This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Dan from Shares and I'm joined by Laura from AJ Bell. Hi there. This week we're talking about investing in Coca-Cola, how to give financial Christmas presents, the impact the high street woes have had on property, and why investors are praying that Donald Trump loses his login details to Twitter. I feel like investors have probably been praying for that for a while. Yes. <laughs> but So firstly, let's take a look at what's been happening in markets this week. So the news has been dominated by yet more general election wranglings. So has that had an impact on markets or not really? Well, we've had the pound has hit a seven-month high ahead of the general election. But the big news is really not to do with the UK. It's more to do with the um, US and China. And, and it has been sort of the key drivers for a long time. So good old Don Trump uh, found his login details again to Twitter and thought he would irate as many people as possible in a short possible time. So nice. He That's my approach with Twitter <laughs> as well. <laughs> he criticised the US Federal Reserve over their interest rate policy, um, reintroduced some tariffs on steel for parts of South America, um, Probably criticised China. I get so I can't remember because I see so many times he sort of has a, a little dig at them, um, and all, all of this sort of caused a big sell-off in equity markets. And he also didn't help matters by saying that this U.S.-China trade deal agreement could probably wait until they've held the presidential elections next November. Oh wow! Yeah. So obviously. Uh, investors in Asia in particular were going, what? You know, this is ridiculous. We want some sort of resolution. We want to know what's happening with trade deals. Um, so, yeah, markets have been a bit wobbly, to say the least. Have uh, there been any particular risers or fallers? So if we look at the UK stock market, I would give the Wooden Spoon Award to ad agency MNC Saatchi, which has had a spectacular profit warning. Um, there's been the gold miner Sentiment has received a merger proposal from Endeavour. Uh, Sentiment board came out saying no chance. Give us, you know, we're worth so much more money. But so in in the gold mining industry, there's loads of takeover stuff at the moment. People just want to um, increase scale. They're probably finding it easier to buy another company that is to spend loads of money looking at some fields to try and find your gold underneath that soil um no insight to your weekend activities, yes <laughs> yeah i don't have a metal detector have you got one laura no my father-in-law got one for christmas the other year as a quotes fun present and it still sits in his loft and is unused oh it's your chance to go and i could use it to be a what's what's that program called the de detectorist detectorist so also we've had the founders of boohoo the online retail company they've sold 143 million pounds worth of shares oh wow just as you do so um i'm sure whoever's in their family is going to get a very nice christmas present this year and ted baker has misstated the value of some of its inventory which is a bit worrying um this applies to some historical valuations Given that the current CEO used to be the finance director. Um, oh, it's not a great look, is it? No. And also, it was obviously plagued with problems earlier this year. Yeah, so its, it's founder, Ray Kelvin, um, was accused of hugging too many people, too many members of staff. Um, and it's just had really bad trading for quite some time now. So it's just another problem for it to, to, to cast gloom over the share price. Um, but really, on the US market, the one that 
stock that has caught my eye is Coca-Cola. Now, this shares keep rising. This is quite interesting because if you go back a year or two ago, people would get a bit concerned about what was going on with this business. But um, it came out in July and sort of said, actually, look, the state of the global economy is a bit better than everyone's sort of been expecting. And it's holding up quite well. So they sort of raised their forecast. But um, So it's obviously a US-listed company, but it's very much a global company, isn't it? It must be in pretty much every major market, right? Yeah. I mean, this really is it, – it's huge it's around the world. And it's, it's one of those stocks where if you were an investor um, – you can go to most UK investment platforms and buy the big uh, overseas listed companies and it was and, and it's readily available. So whilst it, it, some UK investors only think in the world of whatever's on the London Stock Exchange, this is this one is actually in quite a lot of people's portfolios across the country. Um, so I, I did some maths. If you put £10,000 into Coca-Cola shares 20 years ago, they'd now be worth £27,558. It's pretty Which good. Is, yeah, really good. So if you put the same amount of money into FTSE Tracker, it would be worth just under £5,000 less. So, you know, it has been, it's been a decent investment um, historically. People are asking now, what's going to happen? Can Coke adapt to the new world? If you think that fizzy drinks, mm. um, sugar, all of these sort of things, people are becoming more health conscious. Um, it goes, it sort of goes against society's shift towards this healthier consumption. So, I mean, I think Coke know this. They've been trying to introduce loads of new products, like the Coke Zero. So this is, uh, it's become quite established. Uh, if you go to restaurants and shops now, you'll see the sort of the, the black can. Um, and I actually. Coke as a business owns hundreds of brands. I was amazed. I was going to say, it must be more than just Coke. So what else, what other random brands does it own? Fanta, um, Minute Maid, Dasani, and Innocent Smoothies, which I didn't realise, actually. Ah. So this is... Uh, so that must be their kind of healthy play, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, what they're doing is obviously, with, with the, the sugar tax we've got in the UK, is, is forced companies to reformulate their products anyway, to reduce the amount of sugar. Um, I think... What Coke is doing is looking beyond just the fizzy drinks. They're looking at sort of um, sparkling waters. Actually, it's quite funny. They, they, they've got this new sparkling water product, which is about to launch in America. Um, it may not be coming to this country. And I'm I, I just ask you why. It's called AHA. <laughs> and so, Think of the advertising campaign yeah. you could do around that, though. Well, and, you know, and there's there's two reasons here. People were sort of joking about it, saying, um, you know, are we all still fans of the Norwegian pop band? Of the oh, same I name? went to Alan Partridge. Well, this is it. Yeah, so it is it is Alan Partridge. People are sort of saying, like, can you imagine if Coke launched a product called Aha? And on social media, it'd just be full of little gifts of um, Alan Alan Partridge sort of sketches. They could and pay stuff. him to be in the ads, though. This could be a success. Please, please, Laura, do an impression of Alan Partridge. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> But it's you know this this the eponymous brand the Coke brand is still massive, so Forbes does this world's most valuable brand survey and this year it came sixth place. Um, the top five are all tech companies like Apple and Google. So you know, for for a sort of a, a, a different industry, I mean that sort of shows it still has this huge reach. Um, but you know it is it does need to evolve, and that's why we saw it buy Costa Coffee uh, um, from Whitbread. Um, last year so hot drinks is actually one of the segments that coca-cola wasn't doesn't really have a big global name in it so it's i mean, I, I, I mean laura do you buy do you go to do you go to costa do, do, i don't know if you, mm, you don't does go it to look costa. like a coca-cola business now no or? it doesn't i don't think it looks any different does it i mean i'm not a regular 
partaker of Costa, but mainly because it's not within the immediate vicinity of our offices or my house. So I go for convenience. Yeah. So I I I thought it's quite interesting. So I had I had a quick look because it's if you think about Coke as a business, the way it sells its products is um, generally through advertising. So it's got you can either buy it through a vending machine or a shop, but Coke is actually selling it to wholesalers, and and then they will stick it into supermarkets and shops. Costa is actually changes the dynamics. It gives Coca Cola direct um, engagement with its customers, and it hasn't had that for ages. So if you go back to the history of Coca Cola, um, it was just being served as a flavour of syrup in soda fountains. So. This word's called a soda jerk. Have you heard of that? Yeah. No. That <laughs> so sounds like the worst insult ever. So this is the, the, the technical name for someone who mixes um, the syrup together in a, in a sort of a shop mm. and serves it to you. So essentially they're baristas. I mean, and that's kind of what Costa is now. So it, it's, it's almost kind like, of gone full circle. Yeah, it's going back to its roots. But it, it's quite interesting. It, it, will Coca-Cola have the culture in its business to know what to do by having a different way of engaging with people. It's very good at advertising, but you know, it, it might actually be very reliant on the existing Costa team to tell it what are the best ways to directly engage with someone in a, in a shop. It's also shifting its marketing focus. Um, it used to focus on loyal drinkers, just keep buying our products. Now it's trying to find new fans, I guess, is the best way of putting it. Um, is that part of the reason it came out with all of those awful flavoured Cokes? The peach coke? Mm, what? I'm not. No. Oh, it's um, not okay by me. Okay, I'll, I'll have to return that Christmas present <laughs> and get you something else then. So, uh, no, it's. It, I mean, yes, it, it, it's it's doing lots of different things. So, loads of this um, coffee to go, which you can lean on the sort of the Costa brand for. It's lots of different um, flavored waters, but yeah, it, it, it's it's totally changing it trying to see can it reach a new audience um and i guess we'll see but if you're from an investment perspective um it's really interesting there's more than one way you can invest in it so most people think i'll get just buy shares in coca-cola or mm. the coca-cola company as it's called and it's listed in on new york stock exchange actually there's loads of bottling companies so on the london stock exchange there's two companies uh, one's called coca-cola hellenic bottling company and there's coca-cola european partners and essentially what they do they've got the the rights to buy concentrate from the parent company and they turn it into a product and they also get um, some funds to help market the end product as well. Um, in America, there's two more of these companies and there's one on the Australian stock exchange. There's one in Japan as well. So oh, that's interesting. It, yeah. So it, it's got, it, it gives you, it gives you choice, um, different dynamics in terms of wanting to get involved. Um, just a one final point on Coke. It does come under quite a lot of criticism for polluting the environment. If you think about all these Coke cans that are just lying on the street or falling out of bins and stuff. Um, so one of these, the, the Coca-Cola European Partners bottling business says it's nearly there with its goal of 100% recyclable, recyclable packaging. So they are doing stuff, but I think it's a long way. But, you know, it's, it's, it is a fascinating business. So the other big news of this week is the M&G has suspended its property fund. So it's about a £2.5 billion fund in size. Um, and essentially, the fund manager said that they had large redemptions and they couldn't sell off assets, so the property, quick enough to meet those redemptions. So they've suspended the fund for time being um, until they can sell off enough of those properties and assets and build up more cash and, and pay out those investors that wanted to leave. In the interim, it's giving a 30% fee discount. 
account. Um, so they'll have to update investors every month um, on whether it's going to remain suspended or whether it's going to reopen. But um, we're also talking about property on the podcast this week, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, it, it's you know we, we talk about property quite a bit, um, but it's just quite good timing. So we, we, we brought in James Woodard from commercial property consultant Hartnell Taylor Cook, who's going to give us some insight about what's going on. So first of all, hello, James. Hello. 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 Can you... I, th- I think it's really important that you give us your Alan Partridge impersonation before we start. So. Aha! <laughs> Very good. That was great. That was better than I could have done. <laughs> I, I admit that I did think of the Norwegian band, though, yeah. before Partridge, when you, when you mentioned Aha. Is this, like, yeah. going to be a great divider of mm, the yeah. British public? Well, which camp you're in? So uh, if anyone's listening and they're based in the States, please, could you send us a can of Aha? I really want to see it. I just like to have the can, to be honest. So not worried about the drink. <laughs> you can save on the postage cost by emptying out the contents. So, um, so yeah, we, 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 we've seen and we've talked on the podcast about how retailers are struggling on the high street and how this is impacting the property industry. So the trend is that um, the retailers are sort of saying to the landlords, it's time you've got to give us more favourable deals. So it's, it's something called a CVA is, is most sort of um, the technical term to describe what's going on. So James, can you tell us what on earth a CVA is in simplest form possible? Well, trying try to put it into a very succinct form, it's quite, quite tricky, but I kind of stole this. Insolvency, CVA is an insolvency process that allows a business to reach an agreement with its creditors to pay off all or part of its debts. And that tends to include store closures and reduced rent. So it's essentially an accounting procedure to reduce your estate, to reduce your overheads. And it's used as a mechanism to essentially ditch shops that you don't want. Because the, there's a topical example at the moment with Clinton, um, the greeting cards company, where... Which I'm going to be honest, I didn't think, I didn't realise it was still going. Yeah. I haven't seen a Clinton on the high streets for ages. Well, they had, the, the, the one local to me had um, a very large liquor paint a few years ago and into what I thought was a struggling company and its shop was very smart. So it's obviously had a go at trying to sort its problems out. But they, they, they've been trying to negotiate with their landlords and essentially said well, we we need a cva um otherwise we're going to get into serious problems is you know what about the future of the business um the landlords have turned around and said no way we're not supporting that so what's happened is they've gone to a pre-pack administration and been sold uh, and now they're turning back to the landlords and saying right okay we're going to negotiate you have to give us cheaper rent it's the same conversation again. It seems so, James. What what is going on? There's it, 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 well, a shift in power, isn't there? Yeah, there's a shift in power from the landlords to the tenants. I mean, for for the longest time, deals on on retail units have, have been all about covenant strength. So the strength of the tenant that's going in there, trying to get the highest rent, trying to give them the smallest rent-free period, and trying to create the biggest investment value. And the entire inv- property investment market is built on that security. Now, it's totally changed with the CVAs because now a landlord looks at a national operator and thinks, well, are they still going to be there five years into their 10-year lease or are they just going to go through this process? And I think it's, it's become just a complete opposite of where it was previously. The tenants have all the power. If you're that operator that has a requirement, you can go out, you can pick and choose between the units, you can find the landlord with the most flexible approach, you can find the one that will give you... A, a, an early break clause, a lower rent, a big rent-free period. And the power has shifted. 
And so are, are a lot of these companies being successful, a lot of these tenants being successful in renegotiating yeah. leases purely on the back of the fact that their business isn't going so well and they can't afford it? Y- yes, and because the landlord doesn't want to have an empty unit. But it's still a commercial decision. It's not quite as simple as just asking and getting it. And if you're a landlord of a shopping centre, there's a terrible knock-on effect of just accepting one rent reduction because that will have a knock-on effect to all the other tenants who will know about it because it will be in the press. So they'll all ask for a rent reduction. Or you'll get to the rent review, which is usually every five years, and at rent review, the landlord has to prove an uplift in rent, an uplift in value. So if he agrees a reduction in rent to one of the key tenants, then that's all the rent reviews, five years in, knocked out. So it's still a commercial decision. Do you think there's there's lots more to go? I mean, it, we've been hearing about this for probably a couple of years now, haven't we? But mm. it's it's interesting with the Clintons example that the landlords are trying to push back. But there are plenty of other examples mm. of um, you know that's it. If you look at um, the retailer Next, they're they're quite often saying that they come to the end of the lease, they find it quite easy to get rent reductions. But mm. maybe they're an exception because they're seen as such a strong name mm. um, if they're in a shopping centre. Yeah, I mean it's slightly different if you're at, at the end of the lease as opposed to just putting your hand up for for a rent reduction or we close. Um, because it, become, it starts to become a legal point about what it actually says in the lease in terms of what you can do in terms of literally just shutting your doors. Um, but no, it's it's not over. There's, there's a lot more of it to come. And the high street it is a very tricky place at the moment. And I think the bit that gets lost in, in a lot of it, though, is that the landlords, who usually are the sort of the whipping boys in all of this, they, they've had no choice but to evolve as well, be, be more flexible have an open-minded approach, think about ways to improve the situation for their tenants. But the bit that's really hard is business rates can't be negotiated. So there's this great big chunk of cost that's there, irrespective of doing a brilliant deal with your landlord or changing the way you operate as a retailer. Um, And that stands in the way of, of a lot of progress still. And is it different for landlords in different areas? So does it depend on whether it's on the high street or in a shopping centre or in an out-of-town unit? Or Yeah, I mean, it all depends what you, what else you can do with the building, really. And that comes down to the individual planning authorities a lot of the time. I mean, one of the big things we look at is how you reduce the amount of retail square footage. And actually, there's quite an easy way to do that in a lot of city centres without having any impact at all on the, the shoppers, which is to get rid of upper floors. I mean, so many shops have upper floors that either aren't used, they're just ancillary space, or maybe they're trading over three or four floors. That can be brought down, and then suddenly you've got a great big chunk of space where if you've got a nice planning authority, you can put in a residential scheme, or maybe you can put in offices, or maybe you can put in a hotel. And, of course, that then has the flip-on that then there's more people around in that that part of the city centre to use the shops that are there. Oh, that's so interesting, but I guess some planning authorities are really good with that and some would flat out refuse. It's a mixed bag, but definitely, at the moment, definitely everyone is getting their heads around the things you need to do to keep your city centres, town centres working. Um, And councils are much quicker to give consents when when you apply to them. They're much less fastidious about the history of the building. Um, a lot of the time it's trying to just get a simple consent to change something from a shop to a food use. Previously that could take a, a year. Now you, where you've got a willing council and you've got a motivated landlord and you've got a decent uh, planning consultant, you can just get that at the start of the project. So you can go to the planners and say, we're getting this shop back. 
in the next six weeks because the tenant's leaving. Can we put in an application for a change of planning use now so that we've got all of the different planning consents so that the market can tell us what it wants to do with the property? So is that quite a trend then for perhaps restaurant businesses and cafes trying to open up in retail space? I presume that the restaurants themselves have been having problems and they're trying to close units. In a way, that's the second part of that is is the point. Because there's so many restaurants that have gone through the CVA process and just left sites, they typically leave them fully fitted. So if you're that operator, that independent operator that wants to get into what might have been seen as a too expensive pitch previously, well, now there might be a pretzo unit with a full kitchen in it, with the floors, the ceilings, the air conditioning, and all of the boring bits like um, extract routes, bin storage areas created. You can just go in and your fit-out costs are just hugely reduced. So a lot of the time, if you're that restaurateur who wants to be somewhere, they're unlikely to go into a former retail unit because it's quite hard to turn somewhere which was selling fashion into a restaurant. You suddenly have to have a huge budget for your fit-out. But there might be a shutdown... Jamie's Italian around the corner, where you've got a shot of getting in and, and, and using a lot of the, the existing infrastructure that's in place. Have you, is there any examples of sort of more unusual um, change of use that you've come across? Well, I, I actually pitched this to my colleagues before I, before I came in to see if we could come up with the most out, outlandish thing, because we deal with lots of different bits of the retail market between three or four of us. And the little list I've come up with is... So I, I've recently put an axe-throwing concept into a former nightclub. Nice. So that that feels <laughs> like the most some normal... some similarities between yes. those two so, the, so you could argue that, <laughs> yes, the, the one isn't, isn't wildly different to the other. Uh, a bingo hall into a climbing centre. Oh, um, I recently showed around a swimming pool concept where they want to set up their own swimming school uh, in an old... Uh, in a never-let restaurant building. So it's in oh. a little, little restaurant scheme... Great, great list of operators in there, but just one unit too many. Who, who knew? And that's either going to be a very small swimming pool or it was going to be a very big restaurant. It was. It's sort of halfway between those two things. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a big old space, and they talked through in great detail how you put a swimming pool into a restaurant space. Surprisingly easy, apparently. Mm. And then the more more depressing end. Um, so we we deal with a lot of old supermarket units, and there was one in North Wales where we we're trying to do a deal to a community group to turn it into a, a food bank, a, sh- a school uniform exchange, because it's a great big chunk of space just in the middle of a town. And, in, and mm. they, they are all over the country, where suddenly a 10, 12,000 square foot supermarket isn't in place anymore. There's only so many people that can take, take that space. And, and, and suddenly you do have to look at you know, all the curveballs. Yeah, so I, I actually took my daughter to a food bank um, the other day she's doing a project for school and that was in an old gym complex and it was quite good and they were sort of saying yeah it's perfect I guess you need big spaces to store a, yeah. for a lot of storage and so what I mean in terms of what's happening um, at the moment the stuff that you're working on is it mm. is it companies are actually downsizing or is there anyone actually out there it, who is, is growing it's so. not all it's not all bad it's absolutely not bad because uh, you're painting quite a bleak picture yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the reality is that there are an awful lot of people that are doing very positive things in the high street. And I think that there's so many negative factors and there's so much talk about how the high street is in trouble and maybe I'm perpetuating that that to a degree now. But there are so many positive things going on. There's a lot of bar operators who are trading very well who, if you look at the bigger format bar operators, in any town or city, there's only so many... 8,000, 10,000 square foot units that have the planning consent to be used as a bar. So where they're in those, they really don't want their leases to run out. 
so a lot of what we're doing at the moment is going to those those parties and going to those landlords and trying to look at their leases long before the expiry dates and do something called a regear, where we say to them, well, if you'll take another 20 years on this lease, and it is literally those sorts of lengths still for those operators in the right positions, then maybe we can give you a little reduction in the rent or maybe we can give you a rent-free period because the impact of adding 20 years to their term is very positive to the bottom bottom line investment value on that holding. So a lot of that. And then th there's an awful lot of work to be done with emerging brands and independent operators who are all, to a degree, excited about this market because they can get into a better position. They can get into a better spot on the high street. There's better opportunities. They know that landlords are less driven by covenant strength. The, you know, the, typically, the conversation would be, how many branches have you got and what are your accounts like when you try and take a site? Whereas now, it can be a, a case of demonstrating some experience in the trade, showing some branding, and people are increasingly trying to get the right use into the right space rather than who's got the most, most sites because that fear of CVA is in the background with, with any of those big chains. So that's actually quite a good picture of the high street. More bars and more independent shops. I yes. get on board with that. Well, th there's there's a fairly solid argument that if you're not part of the industry, it ought to be quite exciting because there's less homogenised high streets. Should be more independents coming in. It should be quirkier. It should be more interesting. Um, and yeah, there should be much more leisure in in those positions. So finally, Christmas is nearing and people are starting to do their shopping. Uh, what about giving money for Christmas? Is, Laura, is that something you do in your family? I am so against giving money. What? I don't believe in it. It just it shows such a lack of thought to me. I know people go into very different camps on this. But what, what if you were giving to, um, say, like a, a, a teenage nephew who just wants to be able to be in control of what the things they buy? They don't really want... They don't get to pick. They yeah. get the <laughs> rubbish knitted jumper that I've decided yeah. that they should have. <laughs> Um, but I think there are there are ways that you can give money without actually handing over cold hard cash. Um, so one of my bigger gripes than giving money is giving gift vouchers for things because so often you either lose them or you forget that you've got them and then they expire before you can use them and there's such a vast um, sum of money that goes into gift vouchers that never get used. So I think a better option for people that do want to give money or would have given gift vouchers is um, things called prepay cards. So they basically work exactly the same as a debit card but you just load it up with money and then it's accepted in shops so you can get like like a MasterCard version of it, and you pay for it in shops in the same way that you would pay with your debit card. Um, I think that's a, a better way. It's it's safer than posting out cash to someone, saves the hassle of going to the bank to have to cash in a cheque, um, and you're less likely to put it in the back of a cupboard and forget that you've got it. Wait a minute. You, you, you said, I don't like giving money, but you should give money. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> but I am very aware that not everyone shares my views, so I'm trying to be a man to the people here. And <laughs> But another way that you can give money which I agree with more, is premium bonds. So um, you can give premium bonds, and they've cut the minimum amount that you can buy in premium bonds down to £25 now. So before it was £100, so that's obviously quite a large gift, but now it's £25 if you wanted to buy for nieces or nephews. The effective interest rate, so basically the average price that you'll get worked out as an interest rate is 1.4%. So it's not great, but it's not awful. But imagine if you were the aunt or uncle that gave premium bonds and they won a million pounds. Yeah, that would be quite cool, wouldn't it? That but, would be pretty cool. But I, I do have a slight issue with premium bonds. And I think it's only because I've got a gripe against them that I have five 
five pounds worth, which my parents, I think, got me when I was born. And I, I cannot recall ever winning. So I'm just, I, I, I sort of think that they quote this equivalent interest rate and but i don't yeah. i think it's wrong because it, it's not doesn't apply to everyone no and so but for every dan who's never won anything there'll be a, there'll be a laura, laura who's, who's a won everything <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess with the with the with the gift vouchers is that from a negative point of view when you get shops in trouble you do see this sudden panic saying like yeah. oh such and such looks like it could go bust if you've got um any sort of gift cards, vouchers for them, you've got to spend them immediately, otherwise they are worthless. And I think Toys R Us was probably quite a good example whenever it went down a year or two years ago. Um, you know, there's lots of people who might have had that as a Christmas present and, and perhaps were left with nothing, which is a real shame. Exactly, and I feel like all of us have probably got a gift voucher or a gift card at some point and lost it or forgotten that we had it and then found it. Yeah. The bottom of a cupboard a year later. Well, I've got I've got a couple of quid left on a Debenhams card, which I now presume is worthless. Um, <laughs> and I, I've got uh, a Toys R Us plastic bag as well. So maybe it's like the collector's item of um, sort of the, the hall I'm of shame. I'm not sure that's going to get you your millions. I think you should just buy more premium bonds. <laughs> So thanks a lot for listening this week. As ever, if you have any suggestions for future topics or general comments, then do email podcast at ajbell.co.uk. And also please leave a review of us wherever you listen to your podcast as it helps other people to find us. So thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.